Well, I have a good word for you tonight, and I want you to go to Joel chapter 2 and verse 25. And Joel was a Hebrew prophet, and he's foretelling, actually, what the Messiah is going to do, coming in on the scene here, and uh, that would be Jesus. I'm preaching to build your faith in God's faithfulness, and I'm also coming against the father of lies, the devil, the thief who the Bible describes as a diminishing being who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And uh, so, uh, I, it, you know, my message is twofold. It's to build your faith and to run the devil off. And Jesus came to give abundant life. What I'm doing is I'm using my uh, table of contents here so I could find the page that Joel, because it moved in my Bible just now. Does it always move? It's in 1283 in my Bible. And uh, so there we go. And in chapter 2, verse 25, uh, this amazing statement comes up. He says, Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, four types of locusts chewing up your life and trying to diminish your world. And my message is about miracles, and it's the miracle of restoration. Amen. Now, you know, this at the time of my preaching, it's 2021. Maybe somebody will come along with this years from now. But just last year, in 2020, over in East Africa, during the pandemic, they had in, in many of those East African nations like Kenya and places like that, the worst plague of locusts in 70 years. You guys remember that? It was like insult to injury. You know, here we are in all these situations and then locusts hit. You know, it felt like the end times for sure. And um, I, I think in history, in American history, in 1874, it was actually called the year of the locust. And what had happened was a massive swarm of locusts descended upon the farmlands of America, from Texas to Alabama, through the Midwest, uh, up even to Minnesota and uh, Montana and all around about there. It was 110 miles wide and over 1,500 miles long. It darkened the skies and uh, diminished the dreams of these pioneers who were encouraged to leave their comfort zone of the east and go out and pioneer the west. So these people are out in this hard scrabble world trying to build a life for themselves and then all of a sudden the sky was darkened and uh, it devoured a whole year's crops and it, 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 some of the description of it in history is that even the laundry on the lines was the, the, and the lines themselves were eaten, blankets were eaten, anything that wasn't wood or tin, even uh, uh, locusts would fall on people and eat the clothes off their backs. So it was pretty weird. And all these people, these pioneers, these hardworking visionaries and settlers were counting on this uh, harvest. But in an instant, boom, it was all gone. And uh, families got so discouraged that they, uh, they left. There was nothing left. They, they, uh, they even didn't have any seed for the next year to plant. So a lot of them uh, just took off. But yet there were some that, that remained. There were people 
that, that, that stayed and, and sure enough, the next uh, spring, the eggs did hatch and there were all these baby locusts everywhere, but then there was a freak uh, snowstorm that killed off all, that, uh, all the hatch. So uh, yet still, in spite of that victory, the farmers were left with absolutely no seed. So there they are trying to figure out what to do next. But then uh, another miracle happened all, all around America people began to pack uh, and send seeds on trains and on uh, mule teams and any way they could get to distribute these free seeds back to these farmers to replant their land. Only now, they didn't just have their plot of land, they also planted on the abandoned fields round about them. So those who that, that had gotten disappointed and left uh, left these things behind, and so they, the people just had enough seed to, to, to plant those seeds, so then, then uh, it, it actually doubled and in some cases quadrupled their crops. Everything was restored and even more than what they had lost. Now, we can either be of those who quit and run from the locusts, or we could be like the ones who stay to watch the restoration. And... Uh, the thief does come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus, the, the, the Jesus I know, came to destroy the works of the devil. And we who remain are to manifest Satan's defeat. I, I think about the, 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 the plight of people, and I think about Job. Let's take a look at Job for a minute. I've been reading and rereading Job, actually, and it's been amazing. Um, because, actually... Let's look at James. Let's, you know, let's do what we often do and let's sneak and read the end of the book to see how it's going to turn out. All right? Because the last chapter of Job is amazing and, the la and, the, and in James chapter 5, it, it talks about restoration in his case. Look at somebody next to you and say, it's good you're here tonight. This message is just for you. Look, James 5 verse 7 says... Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. So don't murmur, don't complain, don't worry. Don't get critical. Uh, be patient. As an example, brethren, of the suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. Verse 11, pay attention to this. You have heard of the endurance of Job. My margin says the steadfastness of Job or the patience of Job. And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. I want to just flat out tell you, I have a faith bias on the goodness of God. I believe in redemption and my Redeemer lives and he is a very present help in trouble and I will not apologize for that theology. Jesus came to set captives free and to defeat the devil and to win souls and bring people out of darkness and he did an excellent job. And so even in the case of Job before Christ, uh, even in the case of Joel, when he prophesied and foretold 
about how God would restore the years the locust has eaten. And dad waved to me. <laughs> I, who have raised four kids, understand. And I'd rather have the noise of a nursery than the silence of a graveyard. That's music to my ears right there. There's hope for the future. So we count those blessed who have endured. In fact, I just tell you, I'm, I'm not really that enamored by the overnight success. I'm not all that excited about, you know, instant uh, shortcut type of people. I am impressed, however, with people who are durable, people that overcome. Even that story of the year of the locust in 1874, where people just stayed with it. And God ended up coming through for them on such a level that, they, that what the enemy meant for harm, God turned around for good. Boy, that inspires my faith. And Job inspires me because here's what happened in Job's life. It says in Job 14, 14, all the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. Job 14, 14, if a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. So some of you are in a situation, you feel like, you know, that 1874 locust deal really wasn't that big of a deal compared to what I'm dealing with. And, and that may be the case. Certainly, I think Job had such a protracted series of weird situations happening to him. And yet, he says, I'm just going to trust God despite all the miserable condition. I'm looking for change in my circumstances. And uh, I'll wait until the time of my reviving comes. E.W. Bullinger translated that verse, I will wait until the time of my reviving comes. The New International Version says, I will wait for my renewal to come. I will wait for my renewal to come. Job had a lot of challenge. Unfortunately, Bible scholars have often assumed that Job was just speaking of his death, of dying. They read about death in the context and mistakenly conclude that Job's words deal with that subject. Hard service is what the King James Version says, um, and the New King James. Uh, it, it, it actually has the appointed time. It's a military expression relating to engagement in warfare. All the time Job was waging the good fight of faith, he was not waiting for death, for a divine visitation. He wasn't waiting for escapism. He wasn't evacuating. He was expecting a revival. He was expecting a renewal. He was expecting a change for the better to come in his case. That change came when the Lord intervened to turn Job's captivity and reward his faithfulness. Go to Job chapter 42, verse 10. Job chapter 42, verse 10, right before the Psalms. Job, at the end of his life, the end of a matter is better than the beginning. And in Job's case, it says in verse 42, chapter 42, um, he says, that, well, actually, in verse, verse 1, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Amen. He had a, that was his conclusion of all the challenges of his life, that God could do all things and no purpose of his can be thwarted. And then in chapter 42, verse 10, the scripture says, The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Like the, like the, the, the year of the locust, 1874. Twofold, threefold, quadruple. 
Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him, and they all ate bread with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him or brought him through. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hupak. In all the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters, and their father gave them inheritance among their brothers, which was rare in that time. The, the girls were blessed like the guys. Verse 16, after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons four generations, and Job died an old man full of days. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. I, I want to just talk to you about how good God is and how he, he, in many cases, wants to bring a double portion. I love the, the book of Zechariah and the, the particular verse, chapter 9, verse 12, where in a certain moment in their particular case, uh, the Lord exhorted them to return to the stronghold, O prisoners, who have the hope, this very day I am declaring that I will restore double to you. That's the New American Standard Version. Uh, double portion. And, and I love what the King James says. It says, turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Did you know that Christians are actually technically prisoners of hope? We're inextricably bound to faith, hope, and love. We are invited into a hope dynamic. Faith is the substance of the things we hope for. We are to be uh, consistently throughout the ages, no matter what the circumstances, optimistic realists. We are believers. We have deeply held conviction. We believe in the good report. We believe that God can and will turn things around, and he is the God of restoration. And the definition for restoration is getting something back again. It's a return to its original or usable and functional condition, a return to life, to give new energy. This is what Job was expecting. He wasn't morbid, he wasn't fatalistic, and he wasn't just longing for death. At a certain point he was, but he overcame it. And uh, what the enemy meant for harm on his case, God turned around for good. And uh, so we're to turn to the Lord. Come back, it says in the New Living Translation to the place of safety. All you prisoners who still have hope, I promise this very day, listen to this, New Living Translation, that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. I heard a story about a young guy who was eating an inexpensive ice cream that was the, the culture of the family, and, uh, and the big brother knocked the ice cream off the little brother's ice cream cone. The dad saw it, went back in the store, and brought back two scoops for the little brother. And he had the revelation that what, you know, he, what he lost, it, it was double. And he said his family didn't have double scoops. And, uh, and I just think about the case of so many situations I've seen in people's lives where I've watched God come and bring restoration. Let's just talk about this for a minute. What Joel was prophesying 
that God would restore the years the locust has eaten was a foreshadowing along with the other prophecy that we all remember from Joel quoted in Acts by Peter that he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit on all flesh. So this is in very, a very real context, the message of Jesus. And this, this one who brings restoration of what the locusts do is Jesus. And on the cross, in fact, when Jesus was dying on the cross, the sky darkened. Just like in the year of the locust, 1874, when the sky darkened. The pioneers lost their, all their dreams were obscured. But God had a plan and God turned things around. Within the case with Job. Actually, Job was so in love with God that he attributed everything to God. But not everything was coming from God. Some of it was just flat out the devil. And the devil came to steal and to rip him off. He was already, he had already usurped authority. Satan is the small g God of this world. And he comes to kill and steal and destroy. But we've got to understand, we've got to return, we've got to turn, and we've got to come back to the place of hope and safety and this awareness because, in fact, we are in the miracle of restoration right now. The swarming locust, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, the gnawing locust. Now, I'm aware of four priorities, God, people, time, money. We're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to honor God, we're to help people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It also, also above finances, the greatest resource we have is time. Make the most of your time, for the days are evil. But man, I love it that this verse says he'll make up for the years the locust has eaten, because in fact, we can all t- testify that, what, that sometimes the days... Are, are long, but the years go by fast. And the devil sometimes will come and try to rip you off for a 10-year period. But I'm telling you, God will restore to you. And as you trust him and as you awaken, double, triple, quadruple, let's believe God for some breakthrough starting right now. And listen, I'm not going to pretend or polish or candy coat anything, and I will by no means ever trivialize anything any of you are going through. Because it all matters to God. And it's your life, and it's your testimony, and it's important. And I'm telling you, God cares about each little thing going on in your situation. And look, with God, the devil comes to disrupt our fellowship with God. As a serpent beguiled Eve from the simplicity and purity of fellowship and devotion to Christ, the devil's trying to beguile us. But I believe God is going to bring revival concerning our fellowship and our connection and our relationship with the Lord. He's doing it now. When I came in here to praise and worship, uh, I sensed the anointing and the presence of God and restoration, power coming into this place. God was anointing the minstrels to help us to facilitate, to get into God's presence. People, you, could have, you might have been rejected by a parent. You might have gone through a divorce. You might have worked at a job for years and years and were underappreciated, whatever it may be. You could trust that our God is bringing restoration Hallelujah. Hear the word of the Lord. We're in the miracle of restoration, the miracle of rejuvenation, a cycle of seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. We're to trust God that we can make the most out of our time for the days are evil. You know, teach us to number our days, Lord, so that we may provide a heart of wisdom. I'm telling you, you guys that are watching right now, you guys that are here, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm not patronizing you. You're very intelligent. 
for taking the time and utilizing this time on the important subject of God's word. Because the, the word is what's going to bring you through in the battles of your life. This true story out of American history about these locusts that ate the pioneer's dreams uh, and caused the sky to be darkened, uh, 100 miles wide and 15 miles long, or the worst case attack on East Africa in 70 years is serious stuff. But yet, nevertheless, God is restoring the years the locust has eaten. Two blessings for each of your troubles. You know, when this church flooded, what the enemy meant for harm, God actually turned around for good. We didn't know our neighbors very well. We became very connected with our neighbors overnight. We, we were new in the valley and new in this building by just a few months. And we didn't even really, you know, we didn't go knock on doors and say hi to all these people. Hey, where are you, the church down the street? How's it going? But God just created a connection that was absolutely fabulous. What the enemy meant for harm, God turned around for good. And, and, and I've, I've watched people that have lost loved ones and that just they ache with that loss, but yet they have a certain credibility. They end up becoming advanced in a skill set on how to comfort other people because we comfort with the comfort with which we're comforted by God. And, and, and I tell you, the, the, the Lord is doing something so sweet and so pure toward his people right now. He's building his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. He's nurturing and fanning the flames that have that gone to a flicker, the, the, the fires that have burned down to its last ember. My God is restoring connection, fellowship, relationship, vital, revitalizing people, and restoring the years that the locust has eaten. Hallelujah. So, uh, you know, there's a story uh, in 2 Samuel that I want to just look at just for a moment. It's really an amazing story of restoration. And, and we don't, uh, we'll turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9, but it starts out in chapter 4 where King Saul has a son named Jonathan, and Jonathan has a son, and Saul and Jonathan died in battle. Saul was always at conflict with David, uh, but now David has arisen as king. His friend Jonathan has died in the battlefield. The nurse that had Jonathan's son ran with him, but then dropped him and his, caused his legs to be lame. This reminds me of a time in Kosovo where a family out of the village of Herich took off hastily when they were being attacked by the Serbians and the little child got pinned between the tractor and the trailer and hurt her leg. And our church has been helping her with that leg ever since. God turned something around and God noticed the little girl, an obscure girl in a village and, uh, and, and cares for her and would, would activate a church all the way on the other side of the planet to care about one little child that turned their leg. And here is such a same case where the reason the nurse ran is because when a, a king, a new king would succeed in a regime, oftentimes they would kill the bloodline of the other kings so that they would not have a coup later on. But David had no intention of doing that. David uh, always honored Saul as God's anointed. So then look, look here at 2 Samuel chapter 9. This is interesting about restoration. This is amazing, actually. Some of you probably have heard this story about this son. But listen to the, this verse. It says, David said, 
Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David and Jonathan had a covenant bond. And Jonathan uh, was honoring to David throughout his life. And, when da- and, and, and here's what's great about David. After Jonathan and, and Saul died, David still was committed and inclined to honor and help uh, the family, even though the earlier generations were gone. And he said, is there anybody I can bless? And that is like Jesus. He's looking to bless you. He's looking, is there anything I can do? Is there anyone I can help? Then David said, I will show kindness to Hunan, the son of Jahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent some of his servants to console him. Wait, am I re- I'm reading the wrong chapter. Wow, that's still good over there too. See, David just keeps on going with, you see the next chapter, he's still flowing in love, wanting to bless more people. You just let me do that because it was good. Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he is in the house of Makar, in the, uh, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makar, the, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Mephi- Ready? Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth. Kazuntai. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here is your servant. Now, when the nurse ran with Mephibosheth, he was probably around five years old. And when he fell, you know, he had those growth plates and his legs got messed up. He could have been bitter toward David even at this point. But here David is trying to dig through to find somebody to bless And he finds Mephibosheth, and he says, do not fear. Doesn't God often say that to us when we're in a struggle? I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Look, I'm going to bless you. Don't be afraid. And I'm going to restore to you what what was lost. He didn't have to do this, but this was the inclination of David, and David is a type of Jesus here. And he says, also, I just want you to eat at my table regularly. Now, David had hundreds of mighty men, and people esteemed getting to be around him. And yet he pushes past all that, and he says, I want you, young boy, the son of Jonathan, with lame legs, to sit at my table for the rest of your life. I want you to come to my table. And uh, again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you would regard a dead dog like me? He had low self-esteem. He felt rejected. He felt sad in his life and felt miserable. Everything had been disrupted. He was living in fear. The king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, 
All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So he was basically unemployed and he just got reactivated and he's getting to cultivate the land and if you read later on, he got uh, an inheritance that was passed on to his children's children uh, from this moment where he went and he found Mephibosheth and he was a finder. Z uh, and Ziba said to the king, according to all that my Lord, the king commands his servants, so your servant will do. Obedience is important. And Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Doesn't that make you want to cry? Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he, he, he was lame in both feet. Don't you feel like, he said, what, why would you even help this, this dead dog? And yet, God, this is the nature of the God that restores the years the locust has eaten. Every one of us is from dysfunction. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, even if you were born with a gold spoon in your mouth, I heard somebody say that if you were born to the Vanderbilt family, then you would have an amazing access to education, the best meals, the most palatial settings, and so forth. Uh, you could be a Vanderbilt or you could be a vagabond. And, and, if you're, and, and you could have had a plastic spork from McDonald's in your mouth. And you could be, you know, public school and, and, you know, having to be a scrapper. I think about the 1874 farmers. What were they like? They were encouraged to go out and to explore the, the wilderness and go out and, and uh, build and grow and raise things. And then all of a sudden, they had their dreams clipped. But yet, the, the ones that were tenacious, that endured, we count those blessed who endure. Now, even Mephibosheth wasn't really particularly enduring. I, I, I suppose he was because he was, he was still alive. He hadn't given up. But here he is, you know, poised for a miracle. Here you are, poised for the restoration of the years the locust has eaten. I mean, you could have been victimized by, from your childhood or not. Uh, you could have been uh, at, put at great advantage or deprived. You could have been misunderstood or you could have been celebrated. Uh, but yet Jesus comes in on the scene and brings redemption and creates a level playing field. For example, in John 3, you see Nicodemus, the posh up and outer. And in chapter 4, you see the woman at the well, the, the, the dismissible down and outer woman with no social standing, and yet God takes her and saves a whole city through her testimony and makes her a winner. God takes Nicodemus where he's at. He doesn't belittle him or strip him down. He just brings him in. He's not partial. God is no respecter of persons. Whether you're a Vanderbilt or a vagabond, whether you're Mephibosheth or you can, can't even say your name or your name is easy, David represents Jesus here. And he's saying, who can I bless? Who can I fortify? Who can I revitalize? Who can I visit? 
and raise up and heal? Who can I pronounce blessing over? Because that's exactly what's happening here. This king, this is what happened. He's going to eat at my table regularly. You know how it happened? Because the king decreed it. He decreed. He's going to eat at my table regularly. You know how he had to arrange to make it happen? That's how the king made it happen. He decreed it. And the king of kings has decreed things over us. And it's interesting, too, because all these names I didn't really articulate well. Uh, Amiel uh, Lodabar, that the region where, where Zeba was from. It, it, the, the word Lodabar, Lo means no, and Debar means word of the Lord. He lived in the land of no Bible. He lived in a place where he wasn't relying on the promises of God. It had gone parched and dry, and they were not in hope. And so God had to go and send a message into that land to proclaim a blessing. And the interesting thing about Mephibosheth's name, his name means to tear down idols, and it means to break shame. And that's what precedes the revival and the move of the Holy Spirit in any season or any increment of a person's life. The Bible says in the book of Acts, repent in order that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And Mephibosheth had to lay aside some things, like maybe contempt and bitterness. Hey, David, you hurt my dad, my father, Jonathan, and my grandfather Saul, when in fact he did not. But yet, uh, he had to overcome that, and he even had to overcome that insecurity at that moment where the king was trying to, attempting to lavish blessing on him. He said, why would you even help me this old, what did he call himself? Uh, this old dog. He had to break from that shame. Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of God. And he brings this amazing uh, revival, but before that he brings redemption, that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved and be invited to sit at the Lord's table and dine with him regularly. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. People who have been through divorce understand this. People who have been rejected at work understand this. People that feel conflict in your soul right now understand this. But Jesus, through the early eons, Joel prophesies that God is going to restore the years the locust has eaten. And he even says the different types of behavior, swarming, creeping, stripping, gnawing. Think about that. It's the year of the locust of 1874 when they would... They literally would eat the clothes off their back. That's how bad. I've seen locusts. They're crazy, man. They're, they're like grasshoppers plus. They're crazy. And it's crazy what happens. But yet you could say, yeah, no, I've been there, done that. I've, I felt like the gnawing, creeping, swarming locusts have kind of tried to hinder my dreams. Those pioneers had dreams, and the sky got darkened over them because of this attack. And yet it worked out. That freak snowstorm that just accidentally killed those little stupid locusts. Hallelujah. I pray you get some of that. I, I pray that right now your sentiments begin to change. Your outlook begins to change. Uh, you, you, move from, you move from pessimism to optimism. You move from doubt to faith. You move from just self-insulated self-loathing to trusting Jesus and getting your hope back on him. Because of who you are, I give you glory, we sing. 
and all those songs, Jehovah Jireh and all that, we, we all these names, uh, uh, Lodabar, Amiel Lodabar means the land of no Bible. So we've got to press into the land of the word of the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. That even though Saul and Jonathan died in the battlefield, the king still wanted to be faithful to his promises. Even though we've been through terrible times of these last, this last year and a half, even though as a collective we've been through some of the most disturbing times in the last hundred years, these are our days. And uh, these are days of new beginnings for us. And so our God knows how to turn things around and work things together for good. And I like it that God increased Job's, uh, what, uh, what he had, twofold. There's a verse in Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs, that when you, the thief is found out, he has to pay back sevenfold. That's even better. I believe in multiplication. Elisha was a follower of Elijah, and he asked that, he said, ask what I should do for you and before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. There's got to be some understanding. Addison read this tonight about Isaiah 61.7. Instead of your shame, you shall have a double portion. And instead of your humiliation, you shall shout for joy over your portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. Mm. That's our God. That's our God. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes to, what does he come to do? It's right. He comes to restore the years the locust has eaten. And, and in the, you know, the stuff, the shame part, that's, that's the self-inflicted misery. Mephibosheth really didn't do anything. That nurse dropped him while she was trying to run during that, that the transition of power. He just got dropped on the wrong way and he hurt his legs and he was lame. And yet, there he was at, at the king's table. And my friend Bayless Conley said, I don't trust anyone that doesn't walk without a limp. It was like a double negative. You had to think about that. But uh, I, I've noticed that God rarely extracts healers from the ranks of the unscarred. David had spears chucked at him. And uh, he was sensitive about rejection. He understood chronic attack. And then so now he's, instead of, get, when he gets in his kingdom, he doesn't get all harsh. Instead he goes, who can I bless? The great people that I've had in my life, once elevated, they'd increase their ability to be a servant. I have no interest in the other stuff. The snotty, snobby, arrogant stuff, I have no interest in that. It, it, it doesn't interest me at all. When I see people obsessed with power and they're evil and mean, I pray for them. But it does, I don't respect it at all. On the other hand, when I see people who have been blessed and endowed with much and they use it to be a greater blessing, see, that's the thing about Zeba. And that, you know, you may be feeling like you relate to Mephibosheth, but God also wants you to be a Zeba, a bringer, who knows the Mephibosheth, who knows the broken people with the, the lame legs, who knows the hurt. Listen, it's time for us to, to be the believers, not just the here I am believer, but the there you are believer, where the anointing comes on you. This is what David said. It occurred to him that he was anointed, and it was to bless the people. That's what exaltation is. That's what leadership is. That's what empowerment is. That's what authority is. That's what all that stuff is. 
It's nothing other than that. I've seen people get all caught up in, I'll make myself feel better about myself if I get in these bigger positions and titles and labels. It means absolutely nothing like that. It means absolutely nothing along those lines. That is a false approach. The whole reason for exaltation, the whole reason for elevation, the whole reason for that kind of thing is so that you will be empowered to bring greater glory to God and bring more relief to people. Be a Zeba that brings a Mephibosheth. You know Mephibosheths out there. You know the broken people. Intercede for them. Pray for them. Encourage them. Love them enough to come bring them into the kingdom of God. And let's trust the Lord right now that he, in fact, wants to uh, uh, cause a, a, a restoration. Mephibosheth's name means to tear down idols and to break shame. And so this is the step we're going to take. This is the, this is the move we're going to make. That's what exactly was what happened to Job. Job, as he got in those difficult situations, just ended up humbling himself and trusting God. And he said, God, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I'm a big believer in this. I, I tell you what, um, the devil will try to run you off, but you just have to rethink that and just stay a little bit longer. Stay in the game, fight the good fight of faith, get out of narcissism, get out of self-pity. It's all, that stuff is just the flesh, just to get you to stay stuck Lay it aside, and let's believe God for a restart. Let's believe God for refreshing. Let's believe God for re-energizing. Days of new beginnings. Many of you in here have made some big decisions. You've thrown down some idols. You've humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God. Some of you are at a place where you feel so numb, you could barely even understand what I'm saying. But I believe the Holy Spirit is piercing through your oppression and bringing vital truth to you. You may feel like, man... There's only one string left on my shirt and the, 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 the locusts have chewed on every one of them and they've been chewing on it through the whole service. And I just rebuke that in the name of Jesus and I pray you get a coat of many colors on you like Joseph and that God puts a robe on you and a, and a signet ring on your finger and kills the fatted calf just like the prodigal son when he returned and the father was there rejoicing when he saw him coming back. Everybody say making a comeback. See, we return you prisoners of hope, we return to the, to the stronghold. Uh, we turn, it says, come back to the place of safety, all you prisoners who still have hope. I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. How many of you that appeals to you? Let's all stand up on our feet. I want to pray. I would like the musicians to please come back. But I right now want you to listen. I want you to lay hands on your belly. Realize that, that the Jesus who took five loaves and two fishes and then five, fed 5,000 with it, he's, at, he's here with you. The one that the lady only had a little oil and he kept filling up jars of oil as she poured it, a supernatural abundance, multiplication. Look, I, I think the double blessing is great, but I believe in multiplication. I believe in multiplication. And I pray these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. Harvest abundance, breakthrough, and joy. If there's anything you need to repent of, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. Just keep a good, firm, steady commitment to a repentant heart and continually humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, 
I pray that you begin a supernatural restoration in the, in the thinking and the relationship with the Lord, in relationship with others, in the use of our time. You said you'd restore to us the years the locust has eaten. And God, I pray that there'd also be an amazing, vital restoration of people's finances, of money. God, I pray there would be such an abundance. That's the lowest on the, on the priority list of God, people, time, and money. But it's important. And I trust you, God, where things are moth-eaten and things are depleted, I pray for abundance, supernatural, unexpected blessing coming upon and overtaking each person coming upon and overtaking each person that's watching me right now. I pray, God, there would be a tremendous, everlasting joy and gladness in their hearts and that favor would surround people as with a shield. Now listen, let's pray this prayer of faith. Heavenly Father, like Mephibosheth, I want to regularly eat at the king's table. And upon invitation, I accept your invitation. And I receive mercy and grace, abundance and blessing in my case. And I forgive everybody, including the people that have already died. I bear no ill will. I'm not just recovering. I am thriving. The blessings of God have come upon me. Goodness and mercy follow me. Rivers of living water overflow me. Signs and wonders and miracles multiply in and through my life. Jesus, I humble myself, confess you as my Lord and Savior, and I trust you to cause all things to work together for my good because I love you and I am called according to your purpose.